Good morning. We just used up half our service time. <laughs> Was that sweet or what? It is fun to serve the Lord. And the minute it gets any other, we need a little adjustment, but the Lord is faithful to make those adjustments. So I thank, we're so thankful for all those of you who are serving back there and doing that. I know that Mrs. T is also extremely thankful. And uh, way to go, winning the gold medal. Let's give it up for, yeah, no, I'm kidding. And Sergey, thank you for coming. Uh, how many brothers do you have? Six brothers and four sisters? Five sisters. Huge family, and as far as I know, you're all serving the Lord. And your mom and dad love the Lord. And so that's been a tremendous encouragement all along the way. So thanks for being here. Uh, would you stand? We're going to read from Exodus 24. That's our chapter this morning. We'll do a little responsive reading as we talk about God's covenant glory and wrapping up these, this little mini-series within Exodus as far as the, God's covenant love. So in Exodus 24, I'm going to read parts of it, so stay with me. Verse 1, Exodus 24, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, you might have a different one, you can still follow. Here it is. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and, and this and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Verse 9, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Verse 15, Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In response of reading this morning, Psalm 29, praise to the glory of God. I'll read the first and odd verses if you could join together in reading the second and even. We'll read through this psalm. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. All of us together. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word. When we read it, hear it, memorize it, hide it in our hearts, you are speaking every time. We are so thankful for that. And I pray this morning the things I prepared, break them fresh, feed us, Lord. We are hungry. We want to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We also are praying for the ears of those who don't know you yet. 
who have not come to his saving faith in Jesus, they would hear that still small voice in their hearts, and they this morning would be saved through the word. So bless these things now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So just also, I put a lot of scripture in my studies. So if you can't keep up, it's fine. Just email me. I'll send you my notes. So Exodus 24, God's covenant glory. So he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So God calls Moses and a select group of leaders to come up. So they, some of them go part way, most of them, except for Moses. So they, they, he says, come up, but only so far. Only Moses allowed to come near, not anyone else. So it's just Moses. When God gave the law, he made it very clear that they shall not come near. It would be a mediator. It was Moses. He was God's one appointed mediator between his people and himself through the law. So in verse 3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So this, three times they say this. In other words, and it was genuine. God, God affirmed that. What they said was good. So in verse 4, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He's the mediator. He wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He's representing them before the Lord. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel. Now, the Levitical priesthood was not in place yet. These young guys were doing that work. Who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Now, I have a, there's a, I, I made some more copies of that uh, handout that we had last week on the three different laws. They all got taken, so I did some more. Also, this morning, this book is called, it's by uh, Joel Richardson. We're hoping and praying that Joel will be able to come here in April. Uh, his wife, Amy, has some very chronic sickness, and so we're praying for them. So whether you can or not, I don't know. But this book, it's called Mount Sinai in Arabia, the true location revealed by, revealed, where, where's Mount Sinai? That's been a question. So I have another handout that's sort of a synopsis of this book. But if you're interested in that, we're not going to go into that because that would be a lot of, this stand keeps going down. I know I'm saying come up, go down, come up, went up. Okay, well, this, it, it goes down but doesn't come up, okay? Anyway, <laughs> so this is the book. If you're interested in the, come grab that, and you might want to read it. It's fascinating. What God has left as witness, a testimony to the things that we're reading. In fact, here it says, and 12 pillars according to 12 tribes. Well, they've located those there. The rock that was split is there. Very obvious, very evident. So they're looking for Mount Sinai in all the wrong places. That's why they can't find any evidence. Well, I believe that it's in, it's where this book is, is identifying to be. Okay, so there you have it. Okay. Verse 6, and Moses took half the blood of it, blood and put it in basins, half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, read in the hearing of all the people, the mediator, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, 
and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words. So we looked at this last week as well as the week before that. The blood of the covenant, this, this uh, necessity that God provided as a means by which they could be forgiven and right with him. And so in last week's study, we talked about propitiation. I'll refer you to that. A very important thing to understand that the propitiation that talks about that Jesus is for us is the wrath of God, the love of God, satisfying the wrath of God, and releasing the mercy of God. In other words, God is angry with the sinner, the Bible says, every day. His wrath is, must be taken care of to satisfy his justice. Where did he do that? At the cross. Incredible. So the blood has always been there for each covenant, the old and the new. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins at the, at the Last Supper. This is my blood, new covenant in place through Christ. So in Hebrews, we read these verses. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, look at once for all, being, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, listen, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The work that God did through Jesus Christ on the cross takes care of our conscience before God. That is incredible. Hebrews again, chapter 9, continue. Now I'm going to put this in ESV because I think it... The translation helps us. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So this is the fulfilling of the necessities of the old covenant by Jesus Christ for a new covenant established through his blood. Now then it says this, for where a will is involved... The death of the one who made it must be established. So how many of you have wills? Your will is written now while you're alive for what happens through your estate when you die. And I hope you have those in place. It's important. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So Paul, is, the writer of Hebrews, is making a point. All the arrangements are secured by the one who made it when he lived. Its beneficiaries can only accept the terms set in place when the one who made it dies. In other words, the whole of the covenant is secured by the one who died when he was alive. So Jesus came as executor of God's last will and testament, if you will. Jesus laid down the terms for the forgiveness of sins. God laid down the terms. He did not consult with man or with Moses and have these negotiations seeking to come to a mutual agreeable, a mutually acceptable agreement. That's not what happened. God laid down the terms. All the arrangements were made by him. The beneficiaries need only accept the terms in receiving their inheritance. So we have inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us through Jesus Christ. He came and lived, laid down all, 
God had already in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, here are the terms. So the first thing Moses did was to proclaim the commandments to the people. Here are the terms. He set out the terms and conditions of the covenant. He made plain the requirements so there was no doubt in the people's minds as to his will and what it demanded of them, the law. And the law is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not in the law. The problem is in the sin of our sinful hearts. So God lays that down. They were, they were now God's people, and they must obey God's laws. But Moses did not stop there. The second thing he did was to perform the rituals given by God in sacrificing and sprinkling the blood on not only the, the covenant, but the people and everything therein. God's terms. When Jesus died, he did so and put in place God's will and testament for those who will receive it. The gospel. He rose from the dead and became the executor of the same will through his resurrection. So he laid down his life to put away sin. He laid down his life to bear the sins of many. It was necessary for Jesus to sacrifice himself. It was necessary but only once for all. God's will, the necessary satisfaction of his wrath, his mercy released was all through what Jesus did, what God laid down the terms, and God fulfilled it and did all of it. And all we do is say, cool, <laughs> awesome. If it's anything else, it's not good news. But what kind of good news can we ever get? He put away sin once for all, forever, to those who will... Come into that will and testament through the gospel of Jesus Christ to be God's people, saved by grace through faith to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for us. I say, cool. Romans 6.10, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. We have a high priest who is exalted to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for us who gives us access by grace in this faith, by faith in this grace in which we stand. He is the, all, the almighty God who became a man. Hebrews 7, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did again once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which comes after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. And I say, cool. It's incredible. The glory of God's covenant is amazing amazing. Hebrews 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That should move us. They anchor within the veil. God did it. He did it. So the old covenant says, you shall not come near. The new covenant says, draw near. Draw near, draw near, draw near. So the glory that we have, number one, is a guaranteed hope. 
Listen to me. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not, well, we hope. Well, we're not sure, but we hope. No, the Bible, when it speaks of hope, speaks of something that is determined and settled. And we have this glory of a guaranteed hope in drawing near to God through Jesus Christ. Again, Hebrews chapter 7. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Man couldn't do that. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. This makes, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. All we've been talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession, here it is, of our hope. Without wavering for he who promises. We, our hope is not in us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend. But how often I gravitate toward, oh no, oh no, oh no. And God says, come near. Come near. Don't waver in your confidence, in your confession. Don't waver in what you understand is true about the, God's Will and testament, his covenant that he made through Jesus Christ. Don't question. You hang on to that. You hold fast to that confession or hope without wavering. Are you doing that this morning? How did you first come to Christ? You came very aware of your sin and your need to be reconciled to God. And you put your faith in the gospel you put your faith in God's will and testament. You put your faith in what he promised, and you were saved. And then Paul, uh, Paul said, have begun the spirit, or are you now made perfect in the flesh? Well, I tried that. But the, it says here, the law perfected nothing. It's exposed the defects. Romans, therefore, have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And what? Rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations. You know, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I'm so jazzed, I can't, I can't speak. Hope, listen, does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We got to come back to the will and testament, back to the place where Jesus saved us through the cross and his blood shed and rose from the dead. You see, it's right in God, and we're saying, I'm coming. I want to get near. I want to get close. I want to get near you, Lord, because I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Whew. Ephesians, therefore, remember. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time without Christ, being alienated from the covenant commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now that's hopeless. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are who once were far off, have been near how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm going, whew. 
this is what the glory of the covenant is all about. It's what God did and God instituted. And he wasn't trying to make some, something that, you know, well, okay, that sounds like a good idea, Moses. That sounds like a good idea, Paul. No. He said, here's the deal. Here are the terms. Here are the conditions. I've met them all. They're all yours. The inheritance is yours. Incorruptible, undefiled. It's all yours if you'll put your faith where I said to put it. So what hinders us from drawing near to God? Listen, it's not God. It's not God. Isaiah, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be wool. Isaiah chapter 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. These are the hindered. Why? What's, what's hindering? Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Repentance is what it's called. Let him return to the Lord, notice, and he will have mercy on him. That's why it's called the mercy seat. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For, notice, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And so what happens? In my mind, my guilt, my sin is screaming out, run from God. I'm thinking God is angry and going to punish me in, in a sense of destruction. My, but he says, my thought, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. You come to me and I'll be merciful. You come to me and I'll heal you. You come to me and I'll take care of the issues that are going on. That not only yourself, but then the world and the devil are going to keep hammering on you and condemning you and beating you down just like this stand. Everybody, you're looking up going. Huh? Hosea, come and let us return to the Lord for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. This is the Lord saying this. Zechariah, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He's waiting for us to respond, to return, say, Lord, I need you how I need you. What hinders us from drawing near to God? You know, it's possible to sound like we're near God. It's possible. Jesus said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And what hinders us is, is when I'm pretending or when I'm the hypocrite. I'm playing the part that hinders being the real deal with God. So we got to take our dark glasses off and start being the real deal and honest with God. If not, it's just mouth, but there's no substance. There's no depth. There's no relationship. It can't happen. It's possible not only to sort of sound like it, but we can seem like we're near to God. We can begin setting aside the reverence for God and the fear of God by which we draw near to God. Aaron, this is, this is amazing. Aaron, he's there. 
He's going up. He's watching from, but he's seeing all this stuff. And what happens when he goes down the mountain? The people are, well, Moses, 40 days. I don't know what happened to Moses. He said, well, bring me your earrings. Bring me all your trinkets. And he melted and made a calf. This is Aaron. See, setting aside reverence for God, setting aside the fear of the Lord, and being moved by people and what they're wanting and the pressures that come in trying to please people. That's what happened to Aaron. And Moses come down, come down the mountain with, with uh, Joshua. Joshua, I, I, think, I think there's a party going or something. And Moses gets down and said to, to Aaron, what'd you do? I don't know. I just sort of, I don't know, I put this metal into a fire and this calf popped out. It's amazing the excuses that we make. Moses going, oh, really? Okay, I, I didn't realize that. We're good. These people, he says, Aaron, oh, Nadab and Abihu. Later on, Aaron's sons, they offer strange fire before the Lord. Now, we're not sure exactly what the problem was. It's very possible it was alcohol. It's very possible that he was, they just thought, oh, I'm in charge. I'm just going to go in whenever I want. These things are brought out in the scriptures as far as what was, what was the strange fire a, uh, Adab and Nabu, how do you say their names, were offering. Whatever it was, God took them out because they weren't reverencing the Lord. They weren't realizing how holy God is. Strange fire. Here's another one. What hinders us from, from drawing near to God? It's worldliness. And being a friend of the world. John says, do not love the world or the things you're in it. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, my passions, are in charge. The lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. My, my position becomes more important than God. My possessions become more important than God. My passions become more important than God. That is going to greatly hinder, if not just end, any uh, capacity or any hope of drawing near to God. And James brings that out. Where do wars and fights come from? Are you? Do, you not, do you not come from desires for pleasure that war in your members? So he begins going through What's going on? What's James addressing? He says, you fight more. You ask and don't receive because you ask and receive. You may spend it on your pleasures. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says, in the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he, listen, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud Pride will be in the way of drawing near to God every time. But gives grace to the humble. Friendship with the world. Pride. That's what gets in the way. James says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. Let me tell you some. We're aware of that, I hope. We have an adversary. And the last thing he wants is for you to draw near to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Humble yourselves. Oh, no, he says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. What are you doing? Purify your hearts. What are you doing? 
You double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. For God to lift you up, you have to be near enough in the right position. And that's what he does. So godly sorrow is to regret without sorrow. Because these things have gotten in the way of me, my nearness to God, my relationship with God. So James says this, you know, God said, come now, let's read together. James says, verse, chapter 4, verse 13, come now, you who say. So arrogance gets in the way of drawing near to God. Oh, today I'm not going to do such and such thing, go to this city. When you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and go there. I love that. <laughs> the Lord says, well, I'm going to even live. Never mind, go somewhere. And he talks about this boasting and arrogance. As though I'm in charge. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl. For your miseries that are coming upon you, your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth. He says, there's this continual growing corruption in your life because of riches. Treasuring up for yourselves things in this earth. And Jesus said, don't do it. Don't do it. It'll get in the way like the rich man said, well, man, I've got all these things. I'm going to build bigger barns. God said, you fool, because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. And then what will you have? Such is the man who's not rich towards God. The riches of this world can get in the way of my drawing near to God. Therefore, and James says, be patient, brethren. James 5, 7. Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draw near to God. Humble yourselves. Repent. Lament. And wait. Be wait. Be patient because Jesus is coming. One day this life will be over. One day will you stand before him. And then what will you have? And so verse 9, then Moses went up and Aaron, Nadab, and the 70 elders. They saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. In other words, he didn't kill them. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Now eating and drinking was sort of the, the, um, the ratifying of the covenant. That's what they did culturally and also here. So they celebrated that. But it says here, they saw God. It says they saw the God of Israel. That must be taken in context of all Scripture. What's happening here? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, it says, And he said, Please show me your glory. This is most. Show me your glory, Lord. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Then I will take off my hand, and you shall see my back, and my face shall not be seen. So the scriptures are clear. You can't see God and live. The Bible says he's invisible, so you can't see him physically anyway. But then in Numbers, we get this one. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. He, I speak with him face to face. We looked at this earlier. Even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. So you have either a theophany. An appearance of God, I believe, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The theophany means God manifested. There are several of them in the Old Testament. Or it's this whole thing of a 
representation, a vision, if you will, of God. So they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heaven in its clarity. Now, you read these things, and God gave it to us to sort of like imagine, picture. Because Paul said, I was caught up in the third heaven. I saw things that you couldn't even put into human language. The glory of God to put in human language. He says, not possible. But God gave these visions. The sapphire stone, which was a deep blue color. And it says it's like the heavens in clarity. It's just this crystal clear blue sort of whatever. Ezekiel saw this. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures, like, a, like the color of an awesome crystal, stretched out over their heads. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like a sapphire stone. On the, and the, on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Ezekiel had those. Again, Ezekiel 10. And I looked there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim. There appeared something like a sapphire stone. Having the appearance and the likeness of a throne. <laughs> May I just interrupt myself for a minute? One day, we're going to see that. Revelation. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. He said, I heard a voice, door open, come up here, I'll show you things that must take place after this. And I looked, and behold, I saw a throne, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Before the throne, verse 6, there was a sea, a sea of glass like crystal. <laughs> in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. These visions, these heavenly visions, God's given to us a glimpse in his word. All of these visions of God in heaven are indescribably wonderful. But none can compare to God managing himself in the flesh on earth. That's the glory of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And the word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the heart of God, he has manifested, declared him. When we're going through the first John studies. What, what just surfaced and continues to just sort of circulate in my heart. God became a human being, for the purpose of giving to us a guaranteed hope in relationship with him. It doesn't get any better than that. John brings that out. First John, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have handled concerning the word of life. John's thinking back to his days with Jesus and realizing we saw God. We walked with God. We heard God. We saw him in the flesh. We saw him crucified. We mourned and wept three days. We're deeply, deeply troubled. 
We thought he was going to be the hope. And then he rose again the third day to fulfill everything he had been telling us all the way along. We're going, no, 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 no. Don't let that happen to you, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. Because God in his infinite plan for our redemption and our assurance and our goodness and our hope is in Christ Jesus having become a, a man to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, make propitiation for the sins of, of all of us. The seat at the right hand of God. Great is the mystery of godly, as Paul told Timothy, God manifests in the flesh. That's the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, was a sinister hater of Jesus Christ. Until, <laughs> until Jesus met him with a blinding light, literally. And here is his testimony given to us in 2 Corinthians. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, manifested for us to give us this assurance, this glory of hope. And I note something here seven times. In verses 1 through 18, it says, up is used. Up, up. The law through Moses says, you must come up. The gospel of Jesus Christ said, God came down. He came down to pay that. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. I'll give you the tablets of stone, the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Let them know. Tell them. I consider it extreme privilege and joy to be able to bring the word of God to you. I count it extreme privilege and joy to sit on any Bible study and hear the word being given to me. That God would entrust us with such things and give us such things. He said to the elders, wait here for we're going to come back to you. Aaron and her are with you. So he leaves Aaron and her in charge and makes his way up the mountain. And there for 40 days and 40 nights, we'll be getting into this in chapter 25. God begins to give them the plans of tabernacling among them. A, little ta- a literal tabernacle. And so it says there he was like a consuming fire. And indeed God is. His presence It's like a consuming fire. The question is, what's the material? What's the material? You see, Paul said, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He will consume the sinner like rubble. But to the believer, his consuming fire is is the work that he's doing in our lives. So there's God's wrath on the sinner. The material there consumes the unrepentant sinner because of their sin. But it consumes the things that are of no value when it comes to the work of God in our lives and through our lives. So when you stand there, it says there in 1 Corinthians 3.13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Here's the final thing. We're going to go have communion together. In 2 Corinthians... Paul writes this in chapter 3 again. But we all, with unveiled faces, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit. So God has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. The communion table, we're going to do that together, is the time now to remember Jesus remember me. No one else. Remember me. Our eyes on him. Our high priest, the one, last, the, the one who sealed the whole thing for us on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, now, come near. Come near. It's a time at the communion table to examine ourselves, to allow the Holy Spirit to examine us. And here we remember, and I hope for all of us here, we remember and know we're not where we want to be with the Lord. We want to be closer. We want to go deeper. We want to know him more. That's a lifelong endeavor. We can know him somewhat, but never exhaustively. We'll be learning this all through eternity. We're learning about God. But right now, as you take the cup and hold that cup, it's his blood. You hold the bread, it's his body. And you remember him. That he is the one who is transforming your life. From glory to glory. How? Back to the cross. Back to the covenant. Back to the blood of Jesus. Back to him. Our eyes fixed on him. Who's the author and finisher of your faith. So for myself and for you. As as these are handed out. We're going to hold them. While they are handed out. I'm going to ask you just to fold yourself in with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord himself. And say. Search me, O oh God, know my heart. Try me into any wicked way and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, search me. Because that is the assurance we have of hope in the love of God being poured out on your life today. Now, where it's at, God wants to do that for you. The whole thing. So if you can pass those out, our worship team can come up. Let's receive those as we wait on the Lord with our hearts. And then I'll come up and we'll take them together.